Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Arizona's 2022 primary elections are in the books. This week, we break down Tuesday's elections and look ahead to November. While results are not yet certified and some counting is continuing, returns from Tuesday's election have given us a pretty clear idea of who will be on the November midterm ballot. To help us break down recent events, we invited Dylan Smith, the editor and publisher of the Tucson Sentinel, and Dan Shearer, the editor of the Green Valley News and Salarita Sun, to sit down with us. I started by asking Dan about the big picture from the results. Well, I'm not so sure that this is a bellwether on whether this is Trump country or not. Obviously, there was some success there, but we really have to wait to the general to see if those candidates uh, get all the way through. I think the what was interesting uh, was that Rusty Bowers uh, lost his uh, bid for a state Senate seat after his January 6th uh, hearing um, testimony, and that was un, uh, an, an interesting move, I thought. That said almost as much as the Trump-endorsed candidates prevailing in the in the primary. Dylan, what was your big takeaway on all of this? There are really two ways to look at uh, the success of the uh, Trump-endorsed MAGA candidates in all of these primaries. One is obviously that Donald Trump and his cadre still have a pretty tight grip on a large portion of the Republican base. Uh, Some of these races were not very close. Of course, the the governor's race uh, basically couldn't be tighter, but a a lot of these primaries were, uh, you know, not terribly close yet. There were some pretty good performances uh, sprinkled throughout from the uh, the folks who were not endorsed by Donald Trump, and still did pretty well in some of these GOP primaries. Not just endorsed, but not you know uh, completely aligned with him. So there are Republicans out there who are not completely bought into Trumpism right now, which maybe gives us something to think about how well Trump and his you know uh, candidates his movement, I guess you could say, will play come the November general election when it's not just the hardcore Republicans voting in a primary who are casting ballots. It was also a bad night for a lot of incumbents. Dan, you mentioned Rusty Bowers. Mark Burnovich will be gone. Vince Leach uh, from the legislature lost in a primary. Uh, he's been there a long time. Not not the best night necessarily for uh, those who are currently in office. We should point out that 70% of registered voters did not go to the polls. I know it's a midterm. I know it's a primary. We expect that uh, low result. I'm hoping that what has rolled out this past week with the election results, we'll encourage more people to study up and uh, get out to the polls for the general. We'll see whether that happens or not. But yeah, we did see a few um, incumbents uh, go down. Then we had people like Daniel Hernandez, who was running for Congress. And he, of course, was stepping out of the state legislature role and into uh, hope to go to that next level. And he not only lost, but he got thrashed uh, by Kirsten Engel in CD6 for the Democratic uh, nomination there. She will go up against Juan Cisco Mani. So uh, Daniel has fed at the public trough for uh, you know 10 years. He'll be back, I'm sure, in one form or another. But I was surprised at how soundly he lost. I think a lot of us were expecting that uh, Democratic primary to be rather closer than it turned out to be. 
And that race, that CD6 uh, general election race, I think will be uh, pretty closely watched around the country. That has long been a swing district as in southeastern Arizona. It, with redistricting, that's a little bit more of a Republican-leaning district, but not by much. And there are a ton of independent voters in that district who will really be the key. That and just, uh, in general, turnout. Who gets to turn out their base? Well, and that district, as you said, Dylan, it's long been a swing district when it was CD8, CD2, now CD6. You know, that that district has forever been that almost 30-30-30 split between Republicans, Democrats, and no party voters. And it moves around right now. It's more Republican. Well, we've seen that come down to just a couple hundred votes for a general election sometimes. And it's not, it's not going to be that close this time as far as the voter registration goes. But I think being an open seat, everybody wants it. It's going to be really a race to watch. We have two candidates in there, Juan Siskamani, Kirsten Engel. They're both from Tucson. Sure, there are a lot of votes in Tucson, but that district now, Cochise County, goes up even north um, into Graham and Greenlee County. How well do Tucsonans play? That, that, that's a great question because it actually touches parts of, I believe, five counties, uh, that new congressional district. And that uh, really says a lot. You know, you get up into Pinal where they can be more conservative. Uh, Graham Greenlee, um, Graham is more conservative. Greenlee is not so much. But you have that Sierra Vista area that has supported Republicans in the state legislature for a good long time. Uh, and then uh, we have a lot of left-leaning voters down here in Green Valley who have now been drawn into that district, and uh, they will play a role in this also. And they're not happy about being in that district, quite frankly. Uh, they would have rather been in Grijalva's district, which is where the other half of the community has gone. So uh, so this will be a very interesting one to watch. I think whoever grabs this seat, though, will probably hang on to it for a while. Let's talk about money. We know CD6 is going to get a ton of money poured into it because it always does. It's also an open seat with Ann Kirkpatrick retiring. Can money buy a win there? We did see in the legislative primary here in Pima County, Morgan Abraham, lots of outside money came in and he lost. So it's money going to buy wins this time around? I think in some uh, respects, uh, having too much money, especially outside money that's not you know coming through your campaign, people aren't donating to you to support you, uh, can be a little bit of a drawback. Some people uh, look at that uh, a little bit uh, suspiciously. If you are getting a whole lot of outside help, they're wondering why. For a primary voter, that's you know a different calculation uh, versus uh, chasing after the general election vote. You know, money certainly is a factor. Making your name uh, omnipresent, whether it's you know. Uh, advertising or mailers or, you know, endless, endless, endless emails sent to every address you get hold of, that can play a role. But still, uh, I still hope most people are trying to be informed voters and uh, thinking about who they're casting their ballot for, educating themselves. I know I'm a little naive in all of this, but But especially up towards the top of the ticket. And, you know, you've, you've got Senate, a governor, some of these top state races, Congress. These things are up at the top of the ticket. They're not down in the weeds where uh, you're trying to make the choice about uh, whether to vote for this constable or that constable and that kind of thing. And the farther down the ticket you go, the more you just have a reflexive party line vote. 
Yeah, most people already know in CD6 how they're going to vote, and I don't think money's going to matter much, but it is so close that it's worth pumping money into it. And and uh, we're talking just uh, two or three hours after the polls closed on Tuesday, the DCCC uh, uh, National uh, Democratic Group was already putting out a hit piece on Juan Cisco Mani. And so uh, they're into it, and we're going to be seeing that for the next couple of months, and it's going to be a, a heck of a battle. When it comes to big dollars, we also have that U.S. Senate race. We know there's going to be a ton of money there. Mark Kelly has a big war chest, and Blake Masters with his backers is not going to be hurting for money. So that race, everybody is watching. What does it look like? Mark Kelly is really just middle of the road as he presents. And so will people just buy the fact that he'll go there and maybe not do too much damage? And uh, meanwhile, Blake Masters is a bull in a China shop and wants to go straighten out Washington and fight for us, as he says. Um, there is going to be a lot of money there, but I think it's going to come down to personality in that race, quite honestly. And Mark Kelly, while he will always vote with the Democrats, he is very... Um, palatable. You can take him. He's not blustery and he's uh, likes to stick to the facts and talk about issues. And I think at this point, people want to talk about issues. Mark Kelly is, you know, as you say, middle of the road. And uh, 15 years ago, he would have been a moderate Republican and not have very many different stances on top line issues. He does, you know, present his, you know, cool and collected, the astronaut, uh, combat pilot. That's something he definitely purposefully puts out there. That's a complete contrast with how Blake Masters is approaching things, which is, uh, you know, he wants to basically burn it down as somebody who has praised the political philosophy of the Unabomber is uh, a very different person than Mark Kelly. But they both have a lot of money. And I will tell you, this is the question I haven't heard asked about Mark Kelly. And I've always wondered in the back of my mind, and that is, is he pursuing his dream or his wife's dream by by serving uh, in the Senate? And I'm not saying he's not doing a good job and he's not committed. He most certainly is. But he wouldn't be in this position if that shooting had not happened um, all those years ago. So I, I think that uh, that's, that's an interesting question here. But he's already proven himself. He's had a chance to and he's done a good job in Congress. He and Senator Cinema often uh, will do joint press releases and things like that. Does the dissatisfaction arm within the Democratic Party with Cinema does that weigh him down at all? Does he need to push off of her some during the election, or will people view them as two individuals? I don't think there's too much in in, in the minds of the general public you know people don't see the press releases we get uh, as as reporters you know the the flood of stuff that we have to look wade through every day i, I you know i don't i don't think there's a, a deep public perception that kelly and cinema are completely aligned and if you're it's not a case of you're voting for mark kelly and you're also voting for kirsten cinema uh, you know they work together on some issues and put some stuff out i, I certainly also things they don't agree on. We see that as well. All right. Well, thanks both of you for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Thanks.
With another election cycle upon us, the Cochise County Democratic and Republican Party headquarters are actively drawing attention to the issues facing residents in the border communities in that county. Summer Hom reports. In early July, the Cochise County Democratic Party set up a table at an abortion protest following the U.S. Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Party members helped attendees register to vote and to sign petitions. In mid-July, the Cochise County Republican Committee hosted State Superintendent of Public Instruction candidate Shirley Sapir at their headquarters for a meet-and-greet. Arizona Public Media reached out multiple times to members of the Cochise County Republican Committee, but they declined to be interviewed. When asked about some of the main issues facing the county, Elizabeth Tyndall, the chairperson of the Cochise County Democratic Party, mentioned that education is at the top of the list. Making sure that our schools are funded, making sure that our schools have the, the resources that they need to be able to educate our students is one of the major concerns across the board in our county. When it comes to school security, amid the uptick of mass shootings across the nation, Tyndall said the party recommends placing more restrictions on purchasing firearms. Just having red flag laws, having background checks, so when that you purchase a weapon, um, it takes more than just a, an hour to buy a gun that can take many, many lives in, in a small amount of time. But we also should make it more difficult for people to get weapons that can rip little children's bodies apart. And, and I think we forget that part. We forget how brutal and terrible it is. And, and we get caught up in different narratives and we forget that there are parents that have lost their children when all they did was send them to school. Additionally, Tyndall is also putting out a call for more access to mental health services in the county. I do think that we do have to address mental health in our communities, but I think that we need to do it in a genuine way, not in just paying lip service to it. And here in Cochise County specifically, there is very little access to mental health care. If you were to decide that you wanted to go see a psychologist or a therapist of any type, the chances that you would be able to get an appointment in the next six months are very, very low. Another issue in the spotlight is water. Two ballot initiatives will appear on the November ballot to give voters the choice of whether or not to make both the Douglas and Wilcox water basins active management areas. We don't have enough water in our county. Uh, we have people that their wells are running dry. And I think just from keeping people in our county and keeping people employed, both education and water are really two topics that we have to address and that I think are at the top of our list. Cochise County includes a number of border communities. When it comes to immigration, Tyndall said that a humanitarian approach is best. I think as a country, we do have a responsibility to offer asylum and protection to people who do need it. Some of the rhetoric is really out of control. Um, we are talking about people's lives and people don't pick up and leave their home and travel hundreds, thousands of miles for no reason. According to a report from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, the number of encounters between agents and undocumented immigrants along the southwest border has increased by 51.8 percent this year in comparison to last fiscal year. Tyndall says that the issue is with the system. One of the talking points was well, people should come to this country legally. They should go through the process legally. And of course, 
but the process to come here legally is such a tangled web of bureaucracy and time that doesn't work because if your family's life is at stake doing the process of the years and years of years and waiting for the process isn't going to serve your emergency and so i think finding that middle path and ultimately um, recognizing the humanity of people just remembering that like no matter where someone is from or no matter like what they're doing like they are humans and every person deserves dignity Attention for voters and candidates now turns to the general election in November, where control of the U.S. Senate and the Arizona legislature hang in the balance. In Sierra Vista, I'm Summer Hom, Arizona Public Media. Welcome back to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we're taking a deeper look at Tuesday's primary election results. Chuck Coughlin is CEO and president of High Ground, a consulting firm that has worked on campaigns for prominent Republicans, including former Governors Jan Brewer and Fife Symington and Senator John McCain. In a recent appearance on Arizona Horizon, broadcast on our sister PBS station in Phoenix, KAET, Coughlin called the primary an internal Republican bloodbath. There was a lot going on on all those statewide races, multiple candidates running, um, several candidates won with 40 percent of the vote. Um, On the down ticket side, legislatively, several incumbents lost to election denier candidates uh, across the board. The legislature looks like it's going to be a much more conservative place after last night. Um, Populist, I'd say, populist place. Mm -hmm. And so the party of Trump um, ran the table last night. He said the most watched race on the Republican side was one that's been the most competitive, the race for the gubernatorial nomination between Karen Taylor Robson and Carrie Lake. Karen spent $20 million, roughly, uh, making that a very competitive race. We'll see what that wraps up with. And then down ticket, Fincham won. That was not a surprise. Tom Horn won. Uh, that was not a surprise. It was appeared that Masters was going to win that Senate seat going away. Legislatively, it ran true to form. In most of the safe Republican districts, a lot of incumbents lost to more extreme populist candidates. Coughlin also talked about why he didn't see former Attorney General Tom Horn's win over state lawmaker and education advocate Michelle Udall for the Superintendent of Public Instruction nomination as an upset. Think about how long Tom's been on the ballot, how many times he's been on the ballot on the Republican side. Um, Attorney General, superintendent of public instruction, it's a name that Republicans recognize, and he's got street cred with that very popular side of the party. He said the landslide victory for Mark Fincham, a far-right election denier who was at the rally that turned into the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol, was also unsurprising. Again, that's the Republican primary. That's the Republican primary that we're living in today. And they nominated the most extreme election denial candidate. And then that's going to be the ball of wax going into the general election. And I would expect on that basis alone, that's the secretary of state's office. That's what that office does. Yes. And if you're Adrian Fontes, you're going to run it against a guy who says, I'm not going to certify the election. I'm going to vote to overturn the election. I'm going to vote against early balloting. I mean, there's a whole litany of things. And Adrian is a well-versed candidate. He was the Maricopa County recorder. I don't know how Mark recovers and runs at a successful general election campaign. 
And Coughlin said he doesn't think Fincham or many of the populist candidates can pivot to more mainstream stances in the general election. So the state GOP is likely to take a different tactic. The Republicans are going to tie everybody to Joe Biden, tie everybody to the recession right. and, and tie everybody to the inflationary mm -hmm. factor and try and make that ticket so unappealing that they will get a chance to win through negativity, drive turnout down and make them an unattractive choice. He also said he has concerns about moderate and establishment Republican candidates like Karen Taylor Robson backing populist primary winners. You have a civil war that took place last night within the Republican Party, and those wounds will not heal easily. It will be up to Karen. I know Karen is a very gracious person. Will she do that? I don't think Bo Lanewell on the Secretary of State side. I don't see Bo had a lot of support around the state. Um, and I don't really see Bo doing that because Bo's not an election denier. You know, he's a principal guy, got into the race, said, you know, it wasn't taken, and ran and got, what, 25% of the vote. If you're a Fontes, if you can pull off 25% of Republicans, it's game over. But Coughlin said Democrats also have their own divisions to overcome. Both parties, I'll say, have done a really good job of handing your opponents a victory. And so yeah. does the progressive side of the Democratic Party show up its identity-based politics, and run on that narrative. If it does, you make the race competitive. It's the old sports analogy. Who's going to turn over the ball the most? And who, the team who turns the ball over the most loses. He said that Senator Mark Kelly's message when going against Blake Masters is the same one that his seatmate, Senator Kirsten Cinema, has used. I've not seen Mark as the kind of outgoing, you know, ticket-leading guy. It's clearly an opportunity for him to do that and talk about his role in the U.S. Senate, what they're doing, what, how he's working with Senator Cinema, and, and invoking Senator Cinema's name in a general election because her numbers are so very popular with right. Republicans. We know that's a well-worn path for Democrats to win. Cinema uh, did it in 18. Kelly's done it in 20. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a progressive. I'm an Arizonan. I'm here to solve problems. The longtime Republican strategist said newcomer Abe Hamaday has a chance in the attorney general's race against former corporation commissioner Chris Mays. Chris is a super smart lady, ASU professor down at the Corporation Commission, established the first renewable energy standard, endorsed that initiative a few years ago that went down in flames that was a renewable mandate initiative. I think they're going to try and attach an anti-carbon narrative to her, which is more costly to consumers, which is more costly to the economy, and try and attach that. You know, if I'm her, though, all I would say is, I'm the state's law enforcement officer. I'm not making policy. I'm enforcing the law. That was Republican campaign strategist Chuck Coughlin speaking on Arizona Horizon on our sister PBS station in Phoenix, KAET. You can watch the full interview, including answers on similar questions from Democratic strategist Carl Gentles on azpbs.org. Dr. Samara Klar is an associate professor at the University of Arizona School of Government and Public Policy. Leading up to the primary, she, along with a team of researchers, surveyed 1,000 voters in the state. That really um, replicates what we found in 2020 during the presidential election. We did a similar poll of general election voters in 2020, and we found a lot more division amongst Republicans than we did among Democrats, specifically when it came to real sort of hot button issues like immigration, uh, we found a substantial portion of Republicans in 2020 who felt that they were more moderate than the 
Republican Party. And so we re-asked some of those questions in 2022. And as you indicate, this particular survey was done only of primary voters. So primary voters tend to be more engaged. They tend to be a little more ideological. They're the ones who really want to get involved in choosing the leadership. So you might expect a little more homogeneity amongst the primary voters. But, you know, again, we find quite a bit of division amongst Arizona Republicans. And I think you really see that reflected in the election results. I mean, to see such a neck and neck race between Lake and Robson, for example, that reflects some real division among Republican voters. So I'll give you just some examples. Almost a third of Arizona Republicans who participated in the primary say that the state Republican Party is too conservative. And that, of course, is a minority. It's only a third. But to see that among primary voters was pretty striking to us, since one can pretty safely assume that they would be more conservative than the general electorate. Now, Democrats as well show a little bit of that. But what's interesting is Arizona Democrats also say that their own party is too conservative. So regardless of whether you're a Democrat or a Republican in Arizona, there's a substantial portion that view their own party as more conservative than they would like them to be. We don't really see a lot of Democrats or Republicans in Arizona saying that their own party is too liberal. There is a good amount who say, you know, it's fine. We like it the way it is. But I think Republicans need to be attuned to the fact that there is some dissatisfaction with the ideological extremity of many of its candidates. The other big election that happened this Tuesday night, of course, was in Kansas dealing with abortion rights. So how do abortion rights play here in Arizona as a political issue. It's not on the ballot. The the group tried to get it on the ballot. It didn't make it. Well, it is on the ballot indirectly. And that is because since Roe was overturned, abortion's been kicked back to the states. And it's essentially up to the governors to decide what happens to abortion in their states. This means that the gubernatorial race in Arizona is going to become very contentious as a result of abortion. Now, Arizona currently has a ban on abortion. It's one of the states that does not allow abortion, except in mother's life is at risk, pregnancy is not viable, sort of the very worst case scenarios. And we asked in our poll whether or not voters support that ban. Keeping in mind, these are primary voters. We found strong opposition to the abortion ban in Arizona. 60% of Arizonans oppose the ban. 44% strongly oppose the ban, and only 15% say they strongly support it. Now, this doesn't mean that Republicans who oppose the ban will go ahead and vote for a Democrat. They may not necessarily care that much, but it does mean that this is an issue that's really going to help the Democratic side. It's going to help whichever candidate wants to get rid of this ban. And, And even Doug Ducey, initially had been saying that he felt this ban was potentially not the right law for Arizona. So that's going to be a real benefit, I think, for Katie Hobbs in her election. And we'll see how much she brings it up in the election, how salient she wants that to be. When it comes to something you just mentioned, it may not be enough for Republicans to vote for a Democrat. But if Republicans think their party is too conservative and there is a moderate Democrat or someone they view as a moderate Democrat, can they hold their noses enough to vote for that moderate Democrat because that Democrat, whoever it is, is more liberal, just to use the term, than they believe you know, the conservative side of their party is? Well, you know, we saw a little bit of that in 2020. So, you know, we're looking sort of at real big data here and trying to figure out who's doing what. It looked as though in 2020, there was a substantial portion of the electorate 
who came out to vote for Mark Kelly and did not vote at all for president. So they vote for Kelly and they abstain from the presidential vote. That's a pretty unusual move. What that would indicate is somebody who is not liberal enough to support Biden, dislikes Trump, but thinks that Mark Kelly was the better option over Martha McSally. And Arizona has a lot of independence. About a third of Arizonans do not want to outwardly identify with either party. A good portion of those independents view themselves as ideologically conservative, but they don't identify with the Republican Party and they will occasionally vote for a moderate candidate from the other side or a greater risk to the Republican Party. They just won't vote at all. So if Republicans in Arizona feel that Blake Masters doesn't represent them or feels that Carrie Lake doesn't represent them, they may not go out and vote for Kelly or vote for Hobbs, but the risk to the Republicans is that they just say, you know what, I don't want to participate at all. And we do see that. Abstention's a real problem when you're running in these really tight races. And Arizona has just become such a real swing state. I mean, we don't know who's going to win. It could be Democrats, it could be Republicans, and we know that it's going to be a very tight margin of victory no matter who gets it. You also polled on purchase of assault weapon age. And uh, people might be surprised in Arizona, which is an open carry state and has always had that uh, around, the results you found. Yeah. So, you know, first we find that Republican primary voters, so I think we can assume these are sort of particularly engaged and probably particularly conservative Republicans in Arizona. Not surprisingly, they overwhelmingly believe that you should be able to legally own and purchase an assault weapon. So we don't see a real wave of support for a ban. However, 71% of Arizona's Republican primary voters told us that they believe the legal age to purchase an assault weapon should be raised from 18 to 21. So Republicans in Arizona believe that the Second Amendment protects the right to to purchase an assault weapon. They don't want 18-year-old kids doing it. Now, that's a really big uh, big piece of you know, news for the Republican Party, because that's something where Republicans and Democrats can find a lot of bipartisan cooperation. Raising the assault weapons age limit from 18 to 21 is a real sort of overwhelmingly popular policy proposal. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, of course, Chris. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Samara Klar, an associate professor at the University of Arizona School of Government and Public Policy. And that's the buzz for this week. Tune in next week as we head back to school and hear from educators as the new school year gets underway. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer, Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.